We're going to go ahead, if you have your Bibles, hope you do, or one in the pew there, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Had somebody tell me today after church, they said, oh, oh Chris, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to be here tonight. We have this and this and this going on. You know, we, we can't, and we're going to another meeting over here somewhere. And I, I said, nobody's going to believe you. I'm like, I don't even believe you. He's probably sitting at home watching the game right now. Or just about. Start time's probably any, any second. Any second. Well, all right. 2 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse number 1. Why not? 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse number 1. Here's what it says. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. We'll continue reading a couple more verses. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an, as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Let's pray, and just for the next few moments, uh, we'll look into God's word. I'll give you the uh, short version as uh, Pastor Humpert said, and uh, I'd hate to see his long version, am I right? Uh, we'll go ahead and pray and we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to meet again once in your house, even on Super Bowl Sunday. And what we've got going on here is far better than what they have going on out there. We thank you for that. And the eternal word of God, may you come to us uh, in a mighty way, remove distractions from our minds and help us to focus on what you have for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen expectation versus reality. Expectation versus reality. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have an expectation of certain things, and sometimes the reality does not meet those expectations. Here's an example. I graduated high school, and I grew up in a Christian, a Christian home, Christian school. Last time I preached, I was able to share my testimony, and I won't go over the whole thing, but I was raised in a Christian home, and I wasn't saved. I professed to be a Christian, but I was not. I was basically a liar, and I was trying to fool everybody. But if you look deep at my life, you'd be able to tell that I was not a Christian. And I went to a summer teen camp after I graduated high school, and the Lord had been working on my heart for some time. And Wednesday night, the third night of the meeting, I realized that I really needed to be saved, that you know, as pastor said today, it's the Holy Spirit that draws you. And I felt like it was maybe one of the last opportunities I was going to get where the Holy Spirit was drawing me and extremely convicted. And so, of course, afterwards, I didn't even come down to the front. This is how much of a, a wussy I was. I didn't even come down to the front. You got to be a man to come down to the front and get saved. And so, uh, but from time to time, we have people who come and uh, like myself, as soon as the service was over, I got with my preacher and I said, I need to talk to you right now. So we went in a room. I knelt down, asked Jesus to forgive me. He didn't even have to walk me through the plan of salvation, of course, because I grew up in a Christian home, uh, knew all about it, and got saved. And the rest of that week of camp was fabulous. It was wonderful. 
I was a new creature. The old things were passed away. All things became new. And it was wonderful. I was on a spiritual high. And at that time, I knew that God was calling me to be a preacher. I didn't know to what extent. And the, the camp that I was at was called Mount Moriah Christian Camp. It was over in, right outside Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was associated with the Crown College, which of course I attended shortly after that. And I felt that God was leading me to go to Crown College and to study youth ministry. And one of the reasons was, was God worked in my heart greatly when I was a teenager. And I don't know what would have happened to me if people had invested in me when I was a young person. And so God has had me working with teenagers for the last four and a half years. It's been wonderful. But I decided to go to Crown College. And of course, I follow God's leading there. And I had these expectations of what it was going to be like. Of course, I'm newly saved. And I had expectations that it was going to be like Super Bowl Sunday every night, that it was just going to be a thrill. The guys in the dorm, they're just going to be the best. I mean, we're talking about Christian college preacher boys. They're going to be the best young people that are out there. And we're just going to sit up at night and we're going to talk about the Bible and about the Lord and about how good God has been. And we're just going to go on and on and on and on about it. And it's just going to be great. We're going to sit around and do what we call a popcorn preaching. Anybody ever heard of popcorn preaching? Am I the only one? Popcorn? We got, oh, we got a few. Okay, okay. Popcorn preaching. We're going to sit around and do some popcorn preaching, and it's going to be great. And I show up, and the first day, great. Second day, eh. Third day, I start noticing some things, and I thought, these people are just like normal people. And it's true. They made mistakes. We had, I mean, some young people had to be kicked out. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I don't know what you, I expected that I would go there. Everybody would be super spiritual. But I mean, we had young people being kicked out of college for uh, sneaking off with their girlfriend, looking at pornography, you name it. I mean, it happens, okay? You go to any one of these colleges, you talk to the people that are there, and that is what happens at many, many times. The majority is doing right and is on the right path. And we've had many young people come through. Of course, this church went off to college and were very successful. But I had this expectation in my mind about what college was going to be like, and I was disappointed. The reality wasn't the case. Oftentimes, a pastor, he really enjoys going out to eat. We go out to eat quite a bit. We go to lunch, and we get to talk and chit-chat and whatnot. And occasionally, we'll, uh, we'll go to, you know, a real nice joint like McDonald's. And we'll look up on the menu, and I'll say, oh, man, look at that burger up there. It's real nice and fluffy. And, I mean, the, the patties on it looks like that thick. And it just looks great. Big, big portion. I'm going to be satisfied. And then when that burger comes out and you unwrap it, it looks like the guy in the back was doing abstract art. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it looks like the bun is, the bun is about this big, the burger is about like this big, right? Or the patties are laying halfway off and the bun's halfway upside down. The, the condiments are on the top instead of inside. I mean, we've had it all. Expectation versus reality. And when people get saved, I'm going to trip over this cord. I've got to move it. When people get saved... Many times they have this expectation, as I did as a young person, they have these expectations about how the Christian life is going to be, and they get sadly disappointed. They think, okay, well, I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. Wrong. 
They think everything in my life is gonna get better. Wrong. They think my finances, they're gonna be, get, get better. Maybe not. Maybe not. No, not usually. They think, oh, all my relationships, everybody is just gonna come around me and support me and lift me up. No, that's not at least what Jesus said. And we have unrealistic expectations. And so Paul the Apostle here in his last letter writes to Timothy and he gives him instructions. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. There's a lot of Christians out there today that are not strong. They're weak. We get to verse number three is where we're gonna spend most of our time. It says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, if you looked at my title, my title is G.I. Joe, Kobe Bryant, and Old McDonald. We're gonna look at all those. And of course, if you've read it, you know exactly where I'm, if you were following along, you know exactly where I'm going with all that. But he says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Why G.I. Joe? Well, there's never been a soldier like G.I. Joe. I mean, he is about the best you can get. If you think of a good soldier, one that is always ready to go, always ready, G.I. Joe is the guy. Now, when I was a young boy, G.I. Joes were very popular. And they were little action figures. They're not dolls. They're not dolls, everybody, okay? Don't insult me. And they had little outfits you could change out. It sounds like a doll, but it's an action figure. It is an action figure. A man's toy is what it is. A man's toy, yes. And little did I know, actually, that G.I. Joe's, I mean, had been around for a long time. Just until recently, I didn't know that. I think 1964 was the first G.I. Joe that was made. And I don't believe it was called G.I. Joe. I think it was called America's Movable army man or something, something along those lines. Anybody ever had one of those? Anybody in here had one of those? No? I mean, you guys were alive, 1964. (laughs) No? Maybe it's the dementia. You just don't remember, huh? No, just kidding, just kidding. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Action figures. And G.I. Joe, he's a good soldier. He was a good soldier, And Paul here is giving a charge to Timothy to be a good soldier. You're going to have to endure some hard things. The Bible said just actually, actually about one page over, chapter 3, verse number 12, it says, Yea, chapter 3, verse number 12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's the reality. The expectation is everything in Christian life is going to go great. The reality is if you are living godly in Christ Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not suffering any persecution from anybody. Well, maybe you're not living the way you should be living. I know sometimes when I go out there and I tell people that Jesus is the only way to heaven and you need to trust him to be your savior, they don't like that too much. They don't like when I show up and I knock on their door in very friendly not aggressively, very friendly, very kindly, speaking the truth in love, telling people that they need Christ. They don't like it very much. Now, I'm not nearly going through what Paul the Apostle was going through, but in our society, that little bit would be maybe some, some persecution to our standpoints, people not liking you, people not uh, supporting you, whatever it may be. But he says, endure hardness, endure hardness. 
Often when we see somebody of a military personnel who's retired we, or in service, I like to say thank you for your service. Or I like to say thank you for your sacrifice. Because if, if they have served, they have definitely endured some hardness, which is sacrifice. They have sacrificed. I like to say that to them uh, because they have. I mean, I think about back uh, in the Revolutionary War, Washington leading people in the, in the winter and their shoes literally falling off their feet, wearing out, and they're walking in the snow barefoot with leaving bloody footprints behind them. That's some hardness. They had some drive. They had some grit. They were men's men. They endured some hardness. Military generals, they shout out orders to young recruits and tell them, what to do, when to do it, where to do it, how to do it, and how long to do it. And of course, they obey right, right away. Even at boot camp, soldiers have to endure hardness because they are preparing them for the battle. Many of our military people, many of you have served, and I, I am deeply grateful for your service and your sacrifice that we can enjoy what we're having here. And I'm, maybe from young people, you don't hear that a lot, but I'm telling you tonight, thank you. And some of you, have experienced some really wild and crazy things, things you wouldn't have put yourself in on your own. Some folks in the military sleep in the swamp at night, bugs flying all around. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. They crawl through the mud. Their military leader will say, you crawl in the mud over here for one mile so you can sneak up on the enemy. And what do they say? I'll do it. Or they'll say, you see that field over there? There's bullets flying all, all across that field. I want you to run across there and get to, the, get to the other and help the other troops that are over there. And they say, we'll do it without even thinking about it. But you know what Jesus says? I want you to go right to your next door neighbor and tell him about what I've done for him. And we say, no, no. Some of us were soldiers, but we're not very good soldiers. I'm preaching to myself tonight. This is not for you. This is for me. I don't always take orders like I should. I'm not always a good soldier. I don't like to endure hardness. We think that we have this expectation that the Christian life is going to be all easy, but that's not actually always what it is. What's your limit? A good soldier has no limits. He will do anything even unto the death. He has no limits. The average soldier is more dedicated than the average Christian. Now, the whole thing studying for all this, that was the one thing that I think I got the most from. The average soldier is more dedicated than the average Christian. You tell a soldier what to do, he's going to do it. You tell, God whispers to you to do something through the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes I say, no, I don't want to. We should at least be as dedicated as the soldiers are man. I want to be a good soldier, not just a soldier. When Pastor Lytell, he's my boss, he's my leader. When he needs something done, I want to be the one he calls. I want to be the guy. No offense, Thomas. <laughs> I want to be the guy he calls. When Marty was here, hey, I want to be the guy he calls. And you know what? Thomas, he has the same feeling. When Pastor needs something, Thomas, he wants to be, and we're not talking about hard feelings. We're just talking about we want to do the best that we can do and show our pastor and our leader that when you need something done, we are all over it. 
that when he needs something done, who's the first person he thinks of? I hope he thinks of Chris Barrows, that I'm going to be able to knock it out and get it done, that I'm going to be a good worker and a good soldier. When God comes and needs a job done, where do you think you are on the list? Where do I think I am on the list? Sometimes I find myself more willing to do what preacher wants to do than what God wants me to do. That's where I'm at sometimes. I think if we all had a little self-examining, it'd probably be the same for, for most of us, that sometimes we're more willing to, to do things for our employers or maybe even our family members than we are for the Lord, and that ought not to be so. We ought to be good soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. When God calls, hey, I want to be one of the first people he thinks of. When, I got, when he's got a job, I want to be on the top of the list. I hope you do as well. The soldier, he endures hardness. He also has to stay focused. The next verse, verse number four, says, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. Hey, if you're a soldier, you do not want to get distracted. You've got a mission. You have a job to complete. You've got a goal to accomplish. And you cannot afford to get distracted because it may cost you your life or it may cost you the lives of your fellow soldiers. You've got to stay focused from time to, for the last four years, I have coached uh, basketball and I've coached football. Now Thomas has taken over on that and I'm grateful for it. Enjoyed the time that I did it, but uh, happy to take a little break from it for sure. And one of the most uh, the most difficult things was practice. Practice is the most difficult thing. And the reason is because we practice with the boys and girls in the same gym. That's the problem. That is the problem, the number one problem. Boys and girls practicing in the same gym. I think Thomas and Caitlin, of course, coaching the girls can agree because I'm sitting here trying, I'm, I'm standing here trying to demonstrate for them how to properly shoot a basketball or drive to the basket and make a layup or rebound like they should. And I'm giving it all I got and I look over and those stinking boys are, you know, making googly eyes over there at the girls across the way. They're distracted. Come game day, many times, they're behind the ball. Why? They got distracted. They got distracted. I think of the guards over at Buckingham Palace. And if you go on, if you want to laugh, don't take it overly serious. If you want to laugh, go look on YouTube about the guard, after the service, well, after the Super Bowl. You go and look about the soldiers at Buckingham Palace and they stand there and they take all, all sorts of stuff from people that come by, tourists, usually stupid Americans who come and just, I don't know, they want to put something on their social media. And so they try to get those guards to laugh and, and I don't know, they try to get them to laugh and make jokes to them and go stand by them and get real close and take selfies with them. And the whole time, those guards, they stand perfectly still. They stand perfectly still. They don't move. They don't get distracted. They are always on duty. They never get distracted. And a soldier who wants to accomplish his mission cannot get distracted. The world, the flesh, the devil, if you didn't realize this, is trying to distract us from what God's called you to do. Every day, I'm getting distracted. And distractions come my way. That's why one of my favorite prayers to pray is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I love that. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. I don't want to get distracted. And the things that sometimes distract us aren't things that are necessarily bad in their own. 
It could be a new boat. But it could distract you from what God wants you to do on your weekends. It could be a new motorcycle, a new car. It could be that home that you've always dreamed about wanting. But it could be a distraction. Not saying that it is, but it could be a distraction of what God has for you. It could be a financial opportunity. I know of a bus captain. Let me say this. A former bus captain at my old church, faithful, faithful. Week after week, he would go out and visit his kids. Saturdays, he wouldn't just do a little one-hour visit, pop in. I mean, I'm talking about three, four, five hours on Saturdays go out. Many of our bus people do the same thing. They go out and they try to get young people. And this was an inner city, Little Rock, and so a, a very poverty stricken area. And so it was a lot, I would say it's a lot easier to get kids than, than we have here. We offer a new bike here and they've like, oh, I got four in the garage. But over there, no, it's not that way. You can get them here. A few pieces of candy usually does the trick or so. And they come. And this man was a bus captain for many years, faithfully, faithfully serving the Lord. A low week for, for him would have been about 45 kids about 45 kids that would come in. I mean, high days in the 60s. And of course, like I said, we've experienced that here before as well. But this man got the opportunity to work extra on Saturday. And of course he says, well, you know, I need the money. And at that time, I wasn't even saved at that time, but I thought, oh, okay. But looking back on it now, do you really need the money? Do you really after he left that, that bus ministry because he had to work on Saturdays, couldn't visit anymore, had to turn it over, and I'm not even sure what happened to it after that, but I know it went down within the next two years. I mean, they were bringing in just a handful of young people. I want to say he got distracted. He got distracted. Maybe that was a test that God brought by his way and he didn't pass. Some of us, that are here right now. God may be bringing tests by us right now. May we, may we not get distracted. Even though it's something that say, oh, well, it's, it's not really bad in and of itself. Well, if it distracts you off of your mission, it's no good. It is no good. Number two here. Number two, we see verse number, verse number five. It says, and if a man strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The athlete, the athlete. Of course, you probably know by now that if you have social media or you watch the news that uh, Kobe Bryant, he was a famous NBA basketball player. uh, He passed away last Sunday, I believe it was last Sunday morning in a helicopter crash. It was a sad uh, case and eight other people, I believe, or nine people died in that crash as well. And it was a sad case of affairs. And when I grew up, I didn't really get into basketball. I mean, I was uh, born in 93, 93, and I didn't really watch much Michael Jordan because he was still playing. I think his last season with the Bulls was maybe 98, and I didn't really get into basketball until a little later, and so he had already retired and whatnot, and I started watching Kobe Bryant. He was my guy. I didn't like the Lakers, and I still don't like the Lakers, but I like Kobe Bryant, and I like the way that he played. He was my favorite player uh, in the NBA, and he was very disciplined. He was very disciplined. Just recently, of course, with his death happening, 
many people have been uh, posting some things about his his career and his basketball career and the things that he did. And of course, the points that he scored, I think he was top three until just LeBron James just passed him a week or two ago. Uh, 33,643 points is how many he scored in the NBA. Number three, that's pretty big, but extremely disciplined. And he would go to the gym two hours before practice. Even when he was injured, He would show up to practice two hours early before anybody was there. He would be the guy there. Pretty amazing. He would go, of course, with the Olympics, and he would compete in the basketball tournament. And while everybody else was waking up to go down and get breakfast that was on the team, he was already getting done from a a two-and-a-half-hour basketball practice, and he was icing his knees. That's how dedicated this person was. Was he a fine example for a Christian? No, not at all. I hope, I don't know if he was saved. I hope he was. Um, There was, I I did hear from a relatively good source that he knew a friend of Kobe Bryant and three weeks ago would be four weeks ago. Now he says that Kobe Bryant made a personal profession of faith four weeks ago. I don't know if that's true or not. And I'm not the person to judge. Bible says, work out your own salvation. His life did not resemble something that was a Christian, but for his sake, I hope he was. I was literally grieved in my spirit when I heard that he died. Number one, I didn't expect in a million years that that would have happened to some ultra athlete, but it did. I was grieved about what happened because the man literally wasted his life because he did not live it for God. He was disciplined. He was disciplined at the wrong thing. And so I look at his work ethic and I think, oh man, wow, he had it going on. He had the skill, not only because the athlete has the skill, the soldier, he has the dedication. The athlete, he has the skill. Many athletes, they rely on their skill instead of hard work. Nick Kyrgios, he's a tennis player. I love watching tennis. He's phenomenal. He does, I mean, he literally just goes out there and goofs off, but he does not put in the work. He could be probably the top one or two people in the world, and these are what commentators say, but he doesn't put in the work to make it happen. He's fun to watch. He relies on his skill instead of hard work. The verse says that the athlete, if he wants to win, he has to play by the rules. Kobe Bryant, to my knowledge, was never known for cheating. When people think of his name, they don't think of a cheater. Now, if I mention the name Tom Brady... I mentioned Tom Brady, you say, cheater! He's a cheater! Deflate gate. We could go on listing a bunch of players. I like Tom Brady, okay? I like him. He's a great athlete, but uh, he was not known for cheating. Many of these players today, they have performance-enhancing enhancing drugs that they use, and of course, they normally get found out. Some have even won titles um, at many different sports, and to only have them stripped away because they have cheated. Instead of playing by the rules, They took the easy way. They put in marathons, I've ran a few marathons and I've talked about that before, and they put tags on runner's shoes now. That way, if you stray off the path a little bit or you start going faster than a person could actually run, they'll be able to pick it up. And of course, it has your start time and end time, but it's all to prevent people from cheating. And and we have a wanna here. And recently I've been out watching the games with Mr. Motes out there. He does a great job with the Iwana games and it gives me flashbacks to when I 
It gives me flashbacks to when I was in Awana as a young person and, uh, you know, you're going around that circle and they put a bean bag on top of your head and you're going, trying not to let that thing fall off while you go around the circle. And if you step one foot on that line, what is it, Mr. Motes? Disqualified. That's what it is. You are disqualified. You are out of here. You have to play by the rules. Many Christians, they want the reward, but they don't want to play by the rules. Most of it has to do with their secret life, the things that nobody else knows about. They want to be an exemplary Christian, but their prayer life suffers. Their Bible reading suffers. They have an inappropriate relationship with someone at their job or someone next door. They're not playing by the rules. And if you think for one minute that you're going to get by with that, that's not the case. That's not the case. God knows and sees everything that is going on. Nothing slips by him. You may be able to fool me, pastor, anybody else in this room, but we're not going to be able to fool God. We cut corners sometimes. Maybe you're a teacher in Sunday school and, you know, you don't prepare like you should every week. And you know that you could do better, but you're relying on your skill rather than your hard work. As a preacher, as a teacher, I know. I know what that's about. Brother Steve, Brother Steve, he, he knows what that's about. Week after week, you're preaching. And sometimes, oh, God help us. But you don't put as much into it as you should. You're relying more on your skill and your ability than you are putting in the hard work and the discipline. Play by the rules. Of course, they're running to win. The Christian life, God didn't save us just so we could have, you know, be, be saved and have a home in heaven. We are saved not only for that, but also for a purpose. Also for a purpose to please him. Thirdly, we see here the farmer. The farmer. This is old McDonald here. Old McDonald, the farmer. And we see here in verse number six, the husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Of course, the soldier, he, his desire was to please the one who called him, to please the leader. For the athlete, his desire is to win, to win. And, the, and for the farmer, for old McDonald, he wants to grow his crops. He wants his crops to grow. So he works hard. Soldier has dedication. The athlete has skill. The farmer, he has hard work. Old McDonald wakes up every morning, goes to bed late, puts his blood, his sweat, his tears, his prayers into farming so that he can receive a crop, all in hopes that he's going to receive something for his effort. He goes out and he clears the land, he plows it, he plants, he weeds it, he waters it, and of course, he prays. He prays. But he puts in the hard work because he wants the reward of what he does. From time to time, I've been around some, some spiritual men, some spiritual men, many being at this church here, many preachers that come through town and that I've met when I've been at school, and I look at them and I think, man, I want to be like that guy. Not saying that I want his style or I want his charisma. I want to be in, as in tune with God as that guy is. Have you, anybody raise your hand if you, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Say, I want to be in tune with God as that person is. Then I had a preacher say, it's not really wanting, it's wishing. Because we do what we want to do. So it'd be better for me to say, 
I wish, I wish I was like that person. Because here's the difference. Many times I'm not willing to put in the work that that guy's willing to put in. I mean, when, when Pastor Humpert was up here a week or two ago, and he's talking about getting up at four o'clock in the morning to come and pray, and our pastor, he comes uh, on Saturday nights and during his evening time, and he comes and he prays, and I think, oh, wow, do I want it that bad? Those guys want it, and they go out and they work. And it's not per se about skill. It's about getting out there and working and planting. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What the farmer plants is what he gets. What you put in is what you get out. Sometimes we have people come to the office, and um, they're in dire straits. They have no money. They're going to end up on the street. You know the stories. You've heard them all. And they say, I don't know how I got in this predicament. I just don't know. And they look at you like bewildered and they really have no idea. The deal is every day they have seeds in their hand and they go out and they plant a seed. And then they go out and plant a seed. Every seed represents a decision, a decision. And we are all making decisions and we're planting, we're planting crops. And these people that come into my office, they are in that predicament because for some time, they have planted some bad seeds. And now they are reaping the consequences and they want nice Mr. Chris to help them out, to cut them a check for whatever it may be. And of course, if something is legitimate, we do our best to help them out. But many times it's somebody that has just made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, and now they are reaping the consequences for that. You say, well, I got saved, and so I'm starting my life with a new field, and I'm going to plan a new... That's not really how it works. Mr. Mr. Steve, he gets to see people in the jail all the time, uh, and from time to time, he shares with, uh, with us that he was able to lead somebody to the Lord, and that somebody trusted Christ as their Savior, and when that person gets saved, do they open up the doors and say, come on out, you get to join society now? No, they don't do that. They got to stay in there because they're still reaping the consequences for actions. And so over time, we start planting good seed and start planting good seed. Those bad things, they start to wither away and fall off, and we start getting good things instead. He reaps what he sows. And of course, he partakes of his crop. A lot of Christians, they want to be the leader. They want to they influence other people. And I think what this is getting around, he says, he says to Timothy, he says, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He says, what you've learned, teach other people. The, the husbandman, which is the farmer, he has to partake of his fruit before he can share it with other people. Meaning that if he hasn't experienced it and got anything himself, he's going to have nothing to give out. And if you want to influence people like I want to influence people, not just because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a Christian, and that's what God wants me to do, and he wants us all to do, is to preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples, and we want to influence folks for the cause of Christ. But you know what? You have to experience that, and I have to experience that for myself before I can help somebody else. When we go on these, when we fly in the airplane, of course, they go through the whole safety procedure and the oxygen mask. They hold them up and they say, okay, and if the plane's going down and these oxygen masks come out, put yours on before you go and help anybody else. 
It's not about being selfish. It's about being realistic. That if you're not in the right shape yourself, you're not going to be fit to help anybody else. And it's the same way in the Christian life. If you're a father, you can't help your family if you haven't helped yourself yet. If you're a mom, hey, you can't help your family unless you've helped yourself. The husbandman that labors, he must first be partaker of his fruits. And then as we close here, as we close, he says in verse number seven, consider the thing, consider what I say and that the Lord give the understanding in all things. He says, he summarizes it here. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David was raised from the dead according to these scriptures. He says, remember, he reminds them that, hey, the only way that you get to be as dedicated you get to be dedicated and be a good soldier is because of what Jesus has done. The only way that you can uh, work hard and, and use your skill and, is because of what Jesus has done for you. The only way that you're going to be able to put in the hard work and have something to show for it is because of what Jesus has done for us. Because tonight we're not talking about moral reform. Many people look at Christianity today and they think that, oh, that's just a, a different way to, to live better, to live better. This is not a way to live better. This is transforming because of what Jesus has done for us. So today, so tonight, I should say, tonight, if we look down through these things and I don't know about you, I want to be a good soldier. I want to do hardships. I don't want to, I don't want to get distracted. Hey, I want to play by the rules. I want to put in the hard work and receive that. And so tonight, after this thing is over, and I've, of course, been asking God this, is praying and say, God, I want, I want to be each one of these three people that are in here. Many times we come down the altar and say, God, I'll try. I'll try. I've said that many times. God, I'll try. And really, it's not about you trying, because what I just said, it's not about moral reform. It's not about you trying. It's more of saying, God, I've got nothing good in me. I can't be a good soldier even if I want to. Hey, I can't play by the rules on my best day. I'm lazy. I'm not a hard worker. Saying, God, I want to give you everything I got, and then can you make up the rest? That's what grace is all about. It's unmerited favor, something we don't deserve. And that's what Jesus is offering us. Let's stand. We'll pray, have a few moments of invitation. Have the organist and piano make their way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to be able to be here tonight. I want to be a good soldier. I want to be somebody who plays by the rules, who doesn't cut corners, who doesn't cheat. I want to be the real deal. And I want to work hard. I don't want to be lazy. Day after day, I fail. But I'm trusting you and relying on you to give me the grace to be able to make it. Thank you for what you've done for us. We know that this is only possible because of your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you so much for that sacrifice. May we never think that this is about moral reform, but may we always remember that it's about you. 
Help us tonight as we seek to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. If the Lord is speaking... If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.